And if you ever listen to one message, I want you to listen to this one today. Because I believe God has a message in store for each and every one of our hearts and the lifting up of Christ and letting us see one truth in the Word of God that is so precious and blessed as we see our blessed Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So let us pray toward that end, will you? Let us pray. Our Father, we again come to thy throne of grace. We come through that new and living way which thou hast given us in our blessed Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we cast ourselves upon thee this morning that you may be glorified and thy people edified and sinners will be drawn unto thee. Oh, with thy drawing power this morning, the power of thy Spirit, Draw each and every heart unto thee. Father, this is thy work. This is the reason you sent the Holy Spirit, to take the things of Christ and reveal them unto our hearts. And our Father, the only reason we came to the pulpit this morning was that Christ might be glorified. He might be lifted up in all of his glory. And we would see him this morning. Faith would be in operation. And our hearts would go out to him and in love, in praise, in thanksgiving, in adoration, as never before, when we see what he's done for us and in us, and what he's doing and what he's prepared for us. Lord, we wait before you. The sick we bring to, into to, to thy hands, Brother Rob, Mildred, Brother Lee, we pray thy blessings upon them. May thy healing hand rest upon them. And our Father, have thy way in their hearts and in their lives is our cry this morning. We wait before thee, for we can do nothing. But come, all blessed Holy Spirit, come from within, without us abide, and make our tongue the tongue of a ready writer. May we speak the truth as it is in Christ Jesus, and that truth will sink down deep into our soul. For in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want you to turn with us in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Let us begin reading at verse 5. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. Or in that he died... He died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither ye or ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God 
as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Whether it's right or whether it's wrong, in preaching, to explain your text last, that's what I'm going to do this morning. I want to use the text as a thrusting point to thrust home the truth after we've brought what God has laid upon our hearts this morning. And we come back to this and you will see how it all will tie in together and how God has laid before us this great truth that we died with Christ, we were buried with Christ, we were risen with Christ, and the power and dominion of sin has been broken, and that that <clears throat> life of the Lord Jesus, which we now, which we live, He lives in us, we can praise Him and thank Him for it. By the grace of God, we brought to you a message last Lord's Day on the subject, what manner of persons we should be in all holy conversation, behavior, and godliness in lieu of the second coming of Christ, and especially in the light of who we are, what we are, and what we have in Christ. I showed to you from the Scriptures where holy living and the second coming of Christ were joined together in so many passages of Scripture and urged upon you to walk worthy of the call and wherewith you were called in Christ Jesus. Then I brought before you what we have and what we are made and are given to us in Christ Jesus. We showed to you that Christ has given us His life. We showed to you that He has given us His name. He has given us His dignity and His great and glorious position and glory as we sit with Him now in the heavenlies. We share in all His privileges as the Son of God, as sons of God, joint heirs with Him. And we are sharers of Him, of His trials and His sufferings. And we shall share in all the glory, His glory, in the life to come. Got a confession to make. I went home last Sunday after service, and I kept asking the Lord, Lord, did I make it plain enough as to how we should walk in this separated life of holiness here upon the earth? I remember some of the looks on your faces last Sunday. You don't think I watch you, but I do. I remember some of the looks on your faces last Lord's Day morning. And I know what you were thinking. And I prayed for you Sunday afternoon during the week. You looked at me as if to say, I see myself so sinful. How am I going to walk in such a way as that? Well, I began to cry to the Lord the early part of the week. Lord, let me present the truth that all of this is based upon. So I want you to hear this morning, and I want you to understand what God has done for us in Christ and what the basis 
for our living wholly down here is based upon. I know I went into this. I don't think I made it as clear as I should. I want to this morning. And I pray that God will take it home to each and every one of our hearts. When we leave here this morning, we will be rejoicing in our blessed Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want you to understand, first of all, that there is a perfect sanctification in Christ. I want you to hear me now, because I'm going to speak this morning upon sanctification objectively. What we have in Christ as our sanctifier and what our position is in Him as the Holy One. This thrills my soul so much I can hardly wait to get here this morning to proclaim unto you this great truth that there is a perfect sanctification in which Christ, which becomes ours at the very moment that we believe. Not only do we have a perfect standing before God in righteousness, in justification, or being justified by the righteousness of Christ, and therefore we stand before the judge absolved of all of our sins, nothing against us. But we also are given in the Lord Jesus Christ, based upon the bloodshedding up there upon that cross, there is actually given to us a position, a standing in Him, which is one of perfection, of holiness and righteousness that we cannot and He cannot take away from us. It is a standing before God that we have in Christ. But, between these two things, our perfect standing with God in, before God in Christ, that is ours now in Him, and our walk down here on earth, there consists a painful, bewildering, commingling, day by day, of lights and shadows, joys and sorrows, victories and defeats, and the shadows and the sorrows and the defeats seemingly sometimes are greater than what we see that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is an unceasing <clears throat> warfare going on between the flesh and the spirit, each bringing forth their battles so that we groan. And our groans are mingled with our Christian songs. The believer finds himself alternating between thanking God and thinking upon God for the deliverance from temptation. He bows before Him, contritely confessing his deplorable condition before when he yields to sin. And he must often cry, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Because sin has not been taken out. The old man is there. But I want you to wait now. Don't judge me until I go back to Romans chapter 6 with this message. You hear? I want you to listen. I want you to hear what God has in store for us this morning. Now, this is not something that I have dreamed up. 
but something I've experienced for 36 years in the Lord. And it's in the Word of God. In Galatians chapter 5, we have this reading. This I say then, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that ye would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now I want you to listen to me. He goes on and mentions all of these sins. Listen to them. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murderings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I've told you in the time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And the man who walks in these sins is not a child of God. For we are told in 1 John 3, 9, that we do not make sin the practice and rule of our lives because the seed of God remains in us. And if we use the grace of God as a cloak of lasciviousness to go on in our sins, it's sins, we're not the children of the living God. I'll show you why in a moment. But I read those sins, I read that list of sins to let you know that there is enough tender left in my heart that I am capable, when I read the Word of God, when I read the Word of God and I see the lives of all of the Old Testament saints and New Testament saints and I see what they went through with, I know that I am no better than them, that there is enough left in, there's enough tender left in my heart if a spark Hits it that I'm capable at any moment of committing any one of these sins. That's why I need to know what I'm going to preach to you this morning. Listen to me. You don't get from that statement now that I'm making grace a cloak of lasciviousness. I am not. I am just telling you the plain blank truth. We battle in the flesh. We're still in the flesh. You see, when, when salvation comes, God takes nothing out of us in regeneration. He takes nothing out of us. He puts into us a new heart, a new nature, His own nature, a new spirit. He puts into us His holiness, His righteousness. He puts into us His spirit. The same individual. But praise God, there's one thing He does when He does save us. It's all through the sixth chapter of Romans, and it is this. He breaks the power of sin, that sin no longer is our master to rule us and to reign over us. And I praise God for that. Now, why did He put... In, in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10, on down through verse 18, all of the armor that we're to have if we're not in a warfare. Listen to the testimony of two, two, two of the, in the line of great saints who bear, their, who bear their hearts to the subject. 
The godly John Newton, the slave trader, saved by the grace of God, when speaking of the expectation which he cherished at the outset of his Christian life, wrote, But alas, these my golden expectations have been like South Sea dreams. I have lived hitherto a poor sinner, and I believe I shall die one. Have I then gained nothing? Yes. I've gained that which I once would, say, would, would rather not have. I've accumulated the proof of the deceitfulness and desperate wickedness of my heart as I hoped by the Lord, Lord of glory. He said, blessings have been mine. Blessings have been plentiful to me. And I've read his life story and I've read his, I've read his sermons. No man rejoiced like John Newton. Read his poems. Read, sing his songs. He rejoiced in the Lord, but he knew the depths of the wickedness of his own heart. Now I want you to listen to godly and saintly and holy Brother Jonathan Edwards. A man who, of whom it is said that he would roam the woods by hours, sometimes by the day, doing nothing but singing praises to God, communing with God, walking in unbroken fellowship with God. And he walked in this light for years and years, but listen to this man as he bears his heart. Listen to what he says. When I look into my heart and take a view of, of its wickedness, it looks like an abyss if infinitely deeper than hell. For it appears to me that were it not for free grace, exalted and raised up to the infinite height of all of the fullness of the great Jehovah, and the arm of His grace stretched forth in all of the majestic power, in all of the glory of His sovereignty, I should appear sunk down in my sins below hell itself. He was a saint. Did he, did he delve? Did he, look, did he look in there all the time? Of course not. He was just telling you what was in his heart. But watch it. My question then is, how can such a one who sees himself to have such depths of sin still, after salvation, live and go on in the Christian life, living a holy life? This is the thrust of my message this morning. A truth that I want every child of God to hear and rejoice in, from the youngest in the Lord to the oldest in the Lord. The great desire to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So, Second Corinthians seven one. It's from this that we draw our motivation by the glorious gospel of God to live and strive for a holy life that we described last Lord's Day morning. This desire. To hold on our way in holiness is a desire that has been the desire of all of God's people. But even the Apostle Paul had to confess in Philippians chapter 3 verse 12. He said, not as though I had already attained, neither were already perfect. For I follow after that I may lay hold of that for which also I am laid hold of of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have laid hold of it yet. That is that perfect holiness. 
But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what motivates us to go on? It is this. What motivates us to go on? It is this. That in the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ there is revealed unto us a perfect Savior. There is in the gospel of the grace of our God revealed unto us a perfect Savior. One who is completely satisfied. God as a judge and as a ruler, a righteous one. He has provided for him, for us, a perfect righteousness before him. And that sacrifice that he made was acceptable to the holy God that you and I might be able to stand before him perfect. We might stand before him justified, clothed in his righteousness. But beloved, I'm going to drop this right here. Brother Joe was very kind to me. He ordered from a, the Jacksonville University in Jacksonville a book by Jonathan Arndt on true Christianity. If you want a blessing, if you want a blessing, a short chapter, I've never had my soul blessed as he showed us what true Christianity was. Constantly look into Him and His precious blood. I've delved into it and it's blessed my, my heart in reading, reading it this week as much as I could. But God has to do something else when He saves us. Not only to clothe us in His righteousness, but we have got to be perfect to come before Him. There is nothing that enters there that worketh abomination or maketh a lie. Revelation 21, 27. Nothing enters there that worketh abomination or maketh a lie. So that not only do we have to be justified before God and acquitted of all of our sins, but something else has to happen to us. And that is brought out so clearly in 1 Corinthians 1, for he says that God has made Christ unto us wisdom, righteousness for our justification, and sanctification for our filthiness, and redemption for our enslavement. Christ is our sanctifier. And what has Christ done for us? Well, as our sanctifier, he has gone before God with that blood. Now listen to me. Now, where remission of these sins is, Hebrews 10, there is no more often for sin. The having, therefore, brethren, boldness to enter in the holiest by the blood of Jesus. That's the way He wants us to come. The same sacrifice which has secured and procured the remission of our sins provides the right for us to draw nigh unto God as acceptable worshippers. By his own blood he entered once into the holy place, 
having obtained eternal redemption for us. Did you all know this morning that the Lord Jesus Christ could have never or would not have been accepted into heaven without the blood? Maybe it has never dawned upon you. He told Mary in the garden, I have not yet ascended to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God, so don't touch me. What happened between there and what is recorded in Matthew 28 where it say, he told the women that came to the tomb, touch me, here I am, touch me, touch my feet. What happened? He brought the blood there. The blood. He entered in the most holy place with his own blood. And that very same blood is our entrance into heaven, our standing in heaven, and therefore we can come and have a right to enter in by this precious blood. That which entitled Christ to enter heaven was his own blood. And that which entitles the feeblest believer to approach the very throne of God with boldness is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our title to enter heaven now in spirit. And spirit is precisely the same as Christ was. What has happened? The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ has appeased the wrath of God. It has covered every stain of sin and guilt and defilement. Not only that, but it cleanses. Not only that, but it makes us spotless and it makes us holy. I would that faith could lay hold of that this morning. Let me explain it this way. What the Bible teaches, and what I'm trying to get over to you this morning is this. That when the Lord Jesus Christ made an atonement for our sins, He not only made an atonement that would justify the lawgiver and the judge and the ruler and satisfy God's holy law, but He also made an atonement for our sins to cleanse them and that we might be washed free from all of them. And He entered into heaven for us as our sanctifier so that when we believed upon Him... Are you listening? We would stand in Christ, accepted in Christ, and stand in Christ with before the Father, holy, sanctified. And beloved, if the believer does not have this truth rooted and grounded in his soul, he, he wallers around for a long time doing nothing but looking in here and not to his perfect, perfect, perfect standing in the Lord Jesus Christ. I have two women when I'm sitting in the audience this morning. I love with all my soul. Another woman out there gets our tapes. They never talk to me. I never talk to them unless they're telling me about what they see in here. I don't know whether they have made it Christ or not because they keep looking here. If the child of God was not able to look to Christ and to see His perfect standing in Christ he would be of all men most miserable. And how quick, how quick 
things can come into our mind that will spoil everything of our hope. I was sitting down there this morning. I'll tell you this. I was sitting down there this morning. Brother Scott was sitting next to me. Time got on. And I said, isn't it about time? And I made a statement to him. I said, you know, this is one of those mornings I can't wait to get in the pulpit. Don't you know something? I was smitten just like that. Pride. Man, everything went from me for all of us for about, for about a minute. Everything just went from me. That's how quick. But then I was able to plead the blood and my standing in Christ, my perfect standing in Him. And therefore, I could say, Lord, I'll leave it in Your hands. If I hurt His feelings, if I didn't hurt His feelings, if I said it in pride, I'll leave it with You. I ask for cleansing. I ask for forgiveness. You follow me? How quick! We can go from one extreme to the other. How fast, how quick we can fall from the top of Mount Everest to the bottom. It just doesn't take but a flash of an eye. But beloved, our standing is in Christ. Now go with me to Colossians chapter 1. I want you to see this. I didn't make this up. And I'm going to have to confess to you this morning. Well, let me get, let me get to the Scripture and I'll tell you. Verse 20, And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Him, Himself, by Him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled, in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight, if you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard. All right. Let's look at verse... He reconciled us by His blood, verse 20. He brought us out of that state of alienation, verse 21. But I want you to see what he did for us in verse 22. And now I have to make a confession this morning. I've been preaching for I don't know how long. But this morning was the first time I've ever seen in my life that verse 22 applied to now. Always put it in the future. Isn't that terrible? Isn't that terrible? I never saw that. And you can't see nothing the Holy Spirit. Come on, Brother Mike, tell me. You can't see nothing unless the Holy Spirit shows it to you. I saw it this morning. Huh? Amen. Look what he said. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight right now. So you know what that means? That means that the man that's standing before you having been accepted in Christ by faith, having been justified before God, having been sanctified by the blood of Christ and set apart for His use. According to this verse of Scripture, I stand, Leroy Sheldon Jr. stands before God this morning, holy, perfect, righteousness in the sight of God, 
and he looks upon me as being holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. Isn't that precious? But now watch it. Lest somebody would use that as a cloak of lasciviousness to hide under and say, well, if that's my position in Christ in the heaven, then why not he holding us down here? Ah, but he cuts us off real quick in verse 23. If, and this shows whether or not verse 22 applies to us. If 22 applies to us, then we'll do what is in verse 23. The if is there. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Isn't that precious? Isn't that precious? Isn't that the most precious thing you've ever heard? You don't rejoice at that? You don't jump up and down and shout at that? That you stand this very moment? As a child of God, holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in His sight. That's the reason we, that's the reason when we strive for holiness down here, and we fail so many times, we can look up. Oh, I failed. But I have a perfect holiness in Christ. Perfect holiness in Christ. I can't get over it. That's one of the most precious truths that God ever gave me. <laughs> Y'all thank Him. And I like the way the Amplified puts it. You ready for this? Yet now has Christ the Messiah reconciled you to God in the body of His flesh through death in order to present you holy and faultless and irreproachable in His, the Father's, presence down. Isn't that precious? And I've told many a soul in my lifetime, if I did not have my perfect standing in Christ to fall back upon, I'd be of all men most miserable, because I fail every day. But praise God, we can go to Him. We can cry unto Him for deliverance. And will he give it? Now, will he then, because of that, will he give us what we desire down here, a holy walk? Well, let me read you a scripture and see if, if the scripture doesn't answer your question. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. In other words, whom he calls, he not only justifies. Now watch it. Watch it. I'm stupid. It takes the Holy Spirit to reveal me. Another scripture I didn't see till last night. Come on. What's the matter with you? You've been in the Word all these years and you haven't seen these things? No. I praise God for them. I know they're true. But I didn't understand them in the light. 
Y'all pray for me, will you? I need to be taught. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. And such were some of you, but you're washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The same Lord Jesus Christ, who by the Spirit of God justifies us, sanctifies us at the same time. And who were these people? Well, to call a man a Corinthian was to say that he was the vilest and most wretched sinner on the earth in the day in which this was written. And what were they? Verse 6, fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves as mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, and such were some of you. But you're washed. And made clean by the blood of Christ. But you're sanctified. You're made holy. These despicable Corinthians who had been saved by the grace of God who had wallowed in sin and their names were worldwide for filth and vileness and dirt were now holy in Christ. Do you know this is this 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 verse is given us in the midst of a, of a, of a whole book, the First Corinthians, where he had to go chapter after chapter, open up to them all of the errors that they were in, the sins they were in, teaching them, and yet he tells them that they are sanctified, they are justified in the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. How does God do it? He does it by His precious blood. He does it by His work, the cross. The Holy Spirit's work in us. You see, what I'm speaking this morning now is not what I spoke on last week. If the Lord leads, I'm coming back next week and tie all this together in another message after you have seen this truth in another way upon holiness and sanctification, the Lord will it. He might, not, might let me go to heaven before then, I don't know. But if he does, that's what I have in mind, by the grace of God. But I want you to see this truth this morning. Listen. In us, as we present, as we present ourselves before God our Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ, God sees no sin in us. Now, he doesn't overlook our sin. For we are told in Hebrews chapter 12, that if we are children of the living God, He's our Father, and He's going to chastise us. And the best way to keep from being chastised is to keep short accounts with God. Immediately, cry to God for forgiveness and deliverance by the blood of Christ. Immediately, that you've fallen into some sin. He looks at us and he sees us purer than the heavens itself. That blood, Godward's, Godward has blotted out all of our sins, having removed all our defilement from before the view of the judge. That blood has procured the Holy Spirit 
whereby we receive the washing of regeneration. That blood has washed and purged our conscience from dead works that we might serve the living God. And not only that, but by faith we look away to Him, daily seeing our perfect standing in Him as He communicates to us His life. His life. Beloved, beloved, We receive nothing except it be given to us from above. I have no more power to live a holy life than I have to fly. I have no more power over the thoughts that come into my mind which I don't want. What do I do? I cry the blind. I had a man call me from North Carolina the other night about 8 o'clock. And he says, I've been reading your material for a good while. And he says, I need some I need some advice. He says, I don't know what to do. He says, I, I believe you're a man that can help me. He says, will you? And I said, let's, let, let, let's see what, what the trouble is. Anytime, any, anytime anybody ever is going to, who says they're going to ask me a question, you can rest assured that I've shot a prayer to heaven. Lord, help me. I don't know about y'all, but as soon as somebody asks me a question, our, our shot goes to heaven. Lord, help me. But I don't know how to come in out the rain. And this man tells me, he said, he said, Pastor Shelton, he says, I have... I know that the Lord has saved me. My life has utterly and completely changed. I have a wonderful wife and family. But he said, I am still plagued with the same old thoughts of the deeds I did before God saved me. I told him, I says, well, join the crowd. So have I. He said, you've gone through these things? I said, beloved, I wake up at night and I cry to God, Lord, take these thoughts out of my mind. I don't want them. Where do I run for help? I can't run to you. I found out a long time ago that the other believers are not going to be in the same frame of mind that I am in. I found out a long time ago. I'll go to them and I'll say something that'll fall just as flat as you please. I'll try to tell them how God blessed my soul to fall flat as you please. I said, old fool, keep your mouth shut. I'll try to go to them with a problem. You have trouble with that? You know, you tell me what you have trouble with then if you don't have trouble with that. All of us have something that bothers us. Some besetting things. It might be lust. It might be pride. It might be bitterness. It might be hatred. It might be unbelief. You name it. I don't care what it is. Each one of us are plagued in our hearts with these thoughts that come into our mind. I don't want them. And the moment they come, I cry unto the Lord. Lord, take them away. And I plead the blood of Christ. That's my hope. 
You don't know how long it took. You don't know how long it took for God to 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 to, to take home this truth to my heart. I walked with my Lord a long time, praising Him and thanking Him at falling down in the ditch and staying there. You know why? What can I do to get out? And the more I would look in here, the worse I would get. Way after a while, why don't you plead the blood, my child? Why don't you plead the blood? And that's our hope, to be the bride. We're falling short. But praise God, He is not going to leave us nor forsake us. And then I love, I love to dwell upon the fact that there's no degrees in this. I know that this, this is a settled thing. Now, there's degrees of walking with the Lord down here. Some are walking on this plane and some are walking on this plane, seemingly. But I've found the, the best plane is the low plane down on your face before God. That's the best plane. The way up is down, down to His feet. But this has no, no degrees to it. When we were saved, when God saved us and He washed us in His blood, He gave us this Holiness in Christ. Well, beloved, I ask you a question. How could the Apostle Paul write Ephesians chapter 2 and tell us that we are seated in heavenly places in Christ if we were not perfect in Him? Because nothing that enters there worketh the abomination to make it the lie shall get in there. So realize this. Come to Him. Now, you've heard my definition of faith a thousand and one times, haven't you? What is it? My definition of faith is a felt need. And brother, when I got sin, I got a felt need. When I got a problem, I got a felt need. All right, what am I going to do? Faith, first of all, starts off with a felt need. Second, Faith goes outside of itself because it can't find the remedy here. And where does it go? It goes to Christ and pleads His blood. Isn't that simple? But oh, the grace of God that it takes to put it into practice. But He gives it by His, by His, by His name and by His blood. All right, now, let, now, there's more I could say along that line, but I want to drive this, this truth home. We're on this morning. Let's go back to Romans chapter six, and I want you. I want you to see something now that you probably wouldn't have seen before. Verse five: We were planned together in the likeness of His death. We shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this: what that our old man is crucified with Him. In other words, I am not under the dominion and reign of sin anymore. The old man. Crucified with Him under the death that the body of sin might be destroyed that henceforth we should not serve sin. We're a new man. We're perfect in Him, but we're not made perfect down here yet. But we are a new man. We have risen with Christ. For he that is dead is freed from sin. What does he mean by that? 
He means that sin no longer has dominion over us. It's not our master. We're not his slaves anymore. Now, verse 8, Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Watch verse 9. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over Him. That ought to bless our souls. We have a living Christ and a living Lord at the right hand of God as our great high priest interceding within the veil. And there is our hope for sanctification down here in a holy walk is that we have one pleading for us in the veil. And that's what I hope to preach on next Lord's Day, the Lord willing. That intercessing, interceding priest who prays for us that we may go on in the Christian life. And I want you to watch verse 10. Look at it. For in that Christ died, He did what? He died unto sin once. His own sin? He had none. Whose sins did He die to once and for all? He died to my sins once and for all. He paid for them in full. For in that He died, He died unto sin once. It's finished. But in that He liveth, He liveth unto God. Now, hold that. Let me read to you Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That is our position. We're sanctified. We're sanctified through the offering of the body of of Jesus Christ once for all. And since death can no more have dominion over Him and our sins are paid in full and He's risen, we're risen with Him, we are seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father, then there we are in Him, perfect and holy and righteous, in the sight of the Holy God. That's grace, brethren. You want what grace is. You want to know what grace is. That's grace. That's the grace of God. For by one, verse 14, for by one offering He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. I'm perfected forever. I'm perfected forever. Isn't that grace? Boy, if this is not a motivation, if this is not a motivation to live holy down here, to match my standing in Christ up yonder, I don't know what is. If this does not motivate me, I don't know what would motivate me. That I have all of this in Christ. Then should I take, verse 13, the members of my body and use them as instruments of unrighteousness? God forbid. Now watch what he says in verse 11. He said in verse 10, For that he died, he died unto sin once, for that in he liveth, he liveth unto God. Now he comes to us and he says, Likewise reckon. He says, I want you to have faith and believe. Are you listening to the Scripture? I want you to believe that you yourself is dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Beloved, there is, there is an aspect it now. There is an aspect. There is an aspect in our salvation by 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 which we, by the grace of God, are dead to sin. Not in actual practice yet, but in the mind of God. That doesn't mean as a father he's not going to chase us for sin. That doesn't mean we don't come back to the mercy seat. 
That doesn't mean that we, we, we do not sin. For, for First John says, if, if we say we have no sin, we lie, the truth is not in us. For we do sin. But there's an aspect in the salvation of God and our position in Christ Jesus that we have died to sin as He did. We are to reckon ourselves dead then under, under sin, but alive under God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Romans 6.14. Well, if you have not used that as a battering ram against hell and against Satan, you ought to use it. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law but under grace. I don't know how many tens of thousands of times I have pled that scripture. Lord, you said that sin shall not have dominion over me. <coughs> sin no longer is my master. It, I am no longer its slave. I have been delivered from its dominion. I am no longer in its realm. I have been brought out of that realm. I'm in the realm of the Spirit. I'm in the realm of the living God. Verse 12. I have a duty to perform. And here's where sanctification in this life comes in. <clears throat> I am not to let sin, therefore, reign in my mortal body. But I should obey it in the lust thereof. takes the grace of God to put that into practice. But we can cry, Lord, you told me that I am not to let sin reign over me as it did before in my mortal body. I should not obey it in the lust thereof. But I am to yield my members. And I am not to yield my members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin as I did before. But what am I to do? I am to resent myself unto God as those that are alive from the dead and our members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So that brings us to, Roman, to Romans 12, 1, doesn't it? I beseech thee, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is that renewing of the mind? It's nothing more than the blood of Christ. Other things you could put there. But I, I look at it this way. The renewing of the mind is to come with the blood of Christ to be renewed every day to walk in His way and in His will. Alright? I need a little application, don't I? A little more as if I haven't given enough. I want you to go with me to Hebrews chapter 13 and I close. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 12 and 13. Wherefore Jesus also did He might sanctify the people with His blood. He was that holy standing with Him before God. He suffered without the gate. What does He want us to do? brethren. Let's go together, will you? Who go with me this morning? Who go with me? Come on, brothers and sisters, let's go. Where are we going? We're going outside the camp bearing His reproach. Come on! We're done with sin. 
We have done with the world. We have done with our finite things. We want Him. We want holiness. We want to walk in revival spirit. We want to be prayers. We want to be sores of the seed. We want to get out the Word. Come on, brethren. We've got to go outside the camp and bear His reproach. Let's go. Come go with me. Come on. Brother, brother, brother Joe and brother, brother Scott prayed this morning. Lord, let Mount Zion be a church. This body be a church. Bound together in the things of the Lord. But brother, that will be the bound in the things of the Lord. He went outside the camp bearing our reproach that He might sanctify us, that He might make us holy in His sight forever. Therefore, in walking with Him in holiness and as a church, Come on, let's go. Who can I take by my left hand to go with me? Who can I take by my right hand to go with me? Come on, go with me. And let's go outside the camp bearing His reproach. No matter what the world says, no matter what loved ones or friends say, let's go outside the camp. And let's go to Him. Be ostracized, that's all right. Misunderstood, that's all right. Cut down, that's all right. Pauperized, that's okay also. Cut asunder, that's all right. Let's go outside the camp bearing His reproach. That's the application of all of this this morning, beloved. If that's my position, then I don't want the world. If He's done that for me and I sit with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, clothed in His righteousness and cleansed by His blood to an extent that I am perfect, even as He is perfect, and stand before God in His sight in that state of perfection, and let me go, brother, let me go outside the camp bearing his reproach. I'll ask you one more time. You going with me? Let's go. Let's go outside the camp bearing his reproach. Brethren, we have a great work to do for God. We have just got started. We have only touched the hem of the garment. I read the mail. I hear the telephone calls. I know what God is doing. Let's keep praying. Let's keep going on. Let's keep crying to God for holiness of life. Let's remember the blood. And let us go on unto Him without the camp, bearing His reproach. What's going to happen? One day we shall hear, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter you into the joy of the Lord. That's all I want to hear. If I hear that, I'm satisfied. Well, you don't know why I wanted to come here this morning. Someone was praying this past week in the prayer room. Lord, don't let it be all talk. And that's my prayer this morning. And what I said, it won't just be all talk, but that the Holy Spirit has penetrated your heart with this word this morning. And you'll not walk out of this building the same individual, but with the determination, by the grace of God, I'm going on to Him. I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to be a holy woman and a holy man by the grace of God, looking and seeing my position in Him and walking down here. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, 
in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.